Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Uh, we're back. We're um, running through the school year now. It's already our third week back, which is insane. The spring semester just flies by so fast. We're in the midst of doing argumentative writing in our classes. Ooh, fun. Oh, yeah. Teaching freshmen how to argumentatively write is a lot of fun. Um, this is, it sounds like you're weaponizing students. Yeah, yeah, they, <laughs> yeah they're about to turn weapons on me. And uh, they are... What's funny is we're focusing on social media use for our teenagers and our teenagers today. Uh, so today, I, this is just kind of on a whim, and uh, we're going to be tracking it over the next couple of weeks, but I thought it'd be fun to do. I've now created a class average for all of my students. They have to tell me at the beginning of the week. They have to show me as well. Our class average screen time for the Ooh. week. So they have to tell me their screen time, and then they also have to tell me their social media usage uh, screen time as well. So whatever their their total screen time is, they then need to to filter through all of their social media stuff, add all of that together, and then put it out there, um, and then tell me what those are. We'll add it up, and we'll create two average numbers. So my fifth period class today came out with seven point seven five hours of screen time as their class average per day. Per day. Per day. I told them. How do I, they have time to sleep and do the other things they have to do? I said, guys, if you followed the rules of school, which is you're not supposed to have your cell phone out, okay? And you were on your cell phone. Now, remember, screen time. So this is what my kids were. They're like, well, I listen to music. And it's like, no, no. No, it's screen time. So it means that your screen has to be turned on. So it's not. It's not that you like turn it to face you and like the clock comes on type like that's those two seconds that it like pops up and then right. turns off. No, no. This is you are interacting on your phone. 7.75 hours. If if you followed all the rules of school and you were never on your cell phone during the entire school day and you just started right as soon as the bell rang, you would not be done as a class average. Average, I took this from 31 students, eight hours. You would not be done being on your phone until 11.30 tonight. Yeah, we're spending a third of the day. A third of the day. You, I told him, I was like, you don't even sleep that long. You guys don't even, you guys are like, you guys come in here and you're like, I went to bed at like 2 a.m. and I'm here. Like I woke up at 6 a.m. this morning. And I was like, okay, you, you're on social media or you're on your cell phone more than you sleep. And I've been reading that that's a lot. That's a big problem. Exhaust, exhaustion with teenagers is a big problem. Yeah. And now I can, <laughs> anecdotally in your class, we can see why. Well, and I was like, okay. So then I was like, okay, tell me your. And so we we came up with our average for how long they spent on social media. Believe it or not, they. I don't know what they're doing for the rest of that couple of hours. So they're 
their average social media use came down to about 2.75 hours, so roughly around three hours of social media use. So that was kind of interesting for them. The rest of the time they're spending it on Messenger. The kid of mine said that he spends like six hours a day on FaceTime. I was like, who are you FaceTiming yeah. for six hours a day? I Okay, whatever. That's fine, but that counts towards your screen time. And I was like, guys, you guys are terrible at this. So like, I don't... So we're going to be tracking it over the next couple of weeks. We'll see. I told him, I was like, I'll give a prize out to whoever has the lowest at the end. So um, <laughs> I was like, well, I was like, I, I was like, I'm just encouraging you to not interact with your phone so much because uh, again, they're writing argumentative essays on whether or not social media is good or bad and they can take whatever stance they want to. I don't necessarily think that social media is evil. I think I'm on the stance where it's like it's neither good nor evil. It's just dependent upon what you do with it. And so that's what people are doing. Um, and so I was like, most of you guys, you're not very good at using it properly. So I would say that it's probably best for you to, you know, abstain from it as much as possible. So that was kind of a fun thing today. We'll see how my classes do tomorrow. I've got a second and sixth period class that will be giving me their numbers. Seventh period turned out theirs today was they had less hours of total screen time. They only averaged about five hours of total screen time, but they also averaged four hours of social media usage. So that was interesting wow. as well. Yeah, right? Wow. How do you spend that much time? Hmm. Yeah, kind of fun stuff. So I, that's how I, we're having fun in my English class right now, kind of checking all that stuff out how about you tim how are you doing i'm coming off covid mm. the trifecta my third time my wife and i had it pretty sure i got it my my mom i had to take my mom to urgent care last week and she got diagnosed with pneumonia and i'm pretty sure i got caught it there so wasn't too bad it was basically a sinus infection in fact my doctor was pretty much ready to send me home and just on a whim said, man, why don't, why don't I test you for COVID and the flu and was... Lo and behold. He was surprised. He's like, well, I'm surprised, but you have COVID. So the only thing similar to pre-COVID, I would say, is, uh, you know, like a cold and a flu, you pretty much get over right away. And when you, well, when you get over it, at the point you get over it, you start feeling really good, and um, maybe you might overdo it one day and tire yourself out. This one, you could the the tire being tired part of it lingered more than your average cold or flu or sinus. I would say I, 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 probably two days ago I was over it, but still kind of feeling tired out. Yeah, um, but yeah. nothing. The strain I caught was certainly different than any of the first four or five it was not nothing settled in my chest so i don't know if that's what's going around right now but so that's what uh that's the latest with me and then you and i this weekend have a big weekend down in los angeles we're going to the nascar clash going bush to clash. the bush clash yeah uh which is gonna be fun uh, the coliseum is opening their doors to nascar once again this is their second year correct Second year, I was there last year. So you guys are going along with to help out. We'll be photographing the event and uh, hanging out. It'll be a good time. We'll get to hang out on the track for a couple hours. That'll be a lot of fun. It will be. And, and then plus, we get to just hang out in Los Angeles. Yeah, and we get to hang out in Los Angeles. Uh, we'll be staying in around 
we'll be stay well where we'll be staying is over warner brothers studios area area we're literally like two blocks away so it'll be a nice spot for us to park and just walk to a whole bunch of places nearby food and drinks and stuff so we'll have a good time uh, when we're not out at the track that's right well tim what are we drinking this evening you know more about this than i do We have a treat tonight. So this is this is what I would call the East Coast version of Pliny the Elder. We've talked about Pliny and Russian River on this podcast. This is Hetty Topper by The Alchemist in Vermont. And this is very hard to come by. I used to have it shipped to me by a friend who lives in New England. He would uh, buy three or four, four packs and drop it in a box with dry ice and have it shipped to me. But you, every once in a while, you can get it at a some kind of liquor store. And so I found this at uh, my favorite liquor store up in Clovis a couple weeks ago. And this is definitely one of my favorites. Uh, what do you think about it? Uh, it's really tasty. <laughs> yeah, no, I like it a lot. It's really good. I'm happy that the East Coast has something that they can actually drink over there. <laughs> the, it's got a nice bitterness to it. California is known for IPAs and, and that kind of stuff, and so a lot of people view it as a nice spot. But there's lots of good pockets around and other places that can come up with some really good stuff that's exclusive or it's hard to get and that kind of stuff. So I highly recommend um, checking it out in your local area. And if there's something that you that you enjoy or whatever and um, it's something that you would like us to try, let us know in the comments and we'll see if we can get ourselves a hold uh, of a can and, and something that we can enjoy on this podcast. Uh, I will say that Tim has been really awesome on this podcast and indulging in Colton's palate. But if there's something that you enjoy, we'll try it out no matter what it is. Uh, it doesn't have to be an IPA. We'll, we'll drink it. We'll try it. And I'll give you my best flavor profiles on them that I can possibly give. So, yeah, just drop it in the comments. Let us know or send us an email and say if there's anything that you'd like for us to try. We have plenty of stuff for us to try around here. But we can always find stuff, check it out, and rate and review it for you. So, I think beer number two we've got. I got a. It's from Mammoth Brewing Company, I believe. Is nice. Uh, have not had that, and that is the intrepid tank coming in and out. Hi, tank. Uh, tank is a golden doodle puppy that they've had now for a couple of weeks, uh, a month now. Yeah, over a month. Yeah, about ten weeks. Yeah. No, not ten weeks. What is he? Ten weeks old. No. Uh, we got him we got him right when he was eight weeks old, which is earliest time you're supposed to pick up a dog from a breeder. That's when they're That's weaned off mama or whatever. So we got him mid December. So yeah, ten weeks I guess. No. Six or six eight. weeks. Six to eight. Yeah. All right. The heady topper's hitting. <sighs> Man. Okay, so tonight we're re-recording an episode we did in early November. We recorded it when we were still having some technical issues, and we edited it and edited it and edited it and just could not get the sound to come out well. So uh, we decided to re-record this. We don't have the same answers, because all of that was ripped out of the raw. (laughs) There's a high possibility that that... 
I mean, the hard part, and I would preface this whole conversation. So now that we've, now that we've gone through this stuff, and Tim has, we've we've gone through this before, and this, and honestly, just so we're clear, you're probably actually thankful that we're re-recording this because the first time that we recorded it, it was like what three hours. Like yeah, I think that was our longest something. one, and if if we'd actually managed to save it, that was going to have to definitely be turned into a two parter. Right, and so like there was there was parts with that, and then but also, and we didn't even we did a follow up, we did follow up, we did clean up on aisle five on the on the subsequent episode right. on a couple topics too. So there's a lot in this. Hopefully, our answers will be more concise or whatever. But well, and not even necessarily concise. What I just want to warn anybody that's listening to this—not that you need a warning at this point—we do have explicit down at the bottom. If you didn't know, we have a rating for that. But there are a lot of personal stories that are going to come from people, and there's going to be some really fucked up shit. That, yeah, that there's stuff in here that really that is going upsetting. to have happened to people from the church, and that is extremely frustrating for the two of us. Where, right, and so. We haven't talked about this in months. I, I don't even remember half of these things. When he says them, I'll remember them, and it'll bring up emotions in yeah. us. That's just – we're just like – we told lots of people to go to hell. We're just like, hey, you asshole priest over there that said said the most dumbest shit I think I've ever heard in my life, you can go to hell. Like, Yeah, there's because, a lot of people who are going to get – there. even tonight, there's going to be a lot of people who are told to go to hell. Right, so I mean, just just buckle in. Um, if it's a little too abrasive for you, maybe skip on to the next episode. Or if you're like, let's hear what these guys have to say and let what interesting things they might have in store for us. So. I would I would definitely tune in because these are perfect examples of things that have been at the heart in the genesis of this podcast, and so they are examples. They show that we're not just making stuff up when we accuse, quote, you know, Christians or the church of doing certain things or thinking certain ways. We're going to call this episode like asshats of the church. (laughs) So we're basing this on a BuzzFeed article from last year, uh, October 15th of 2022, still fairly recent. Yep. And it is former it's the title is former Christians shared the experience that made them quit the religion and they had a lot to say. We asked the former we asked the former Christians of the BuzzFeed community to tell us the turning point that made them leave their religion. Here are some of the stories. I think there's like 25 in all. I have 10 highlighted. I don't know if we did 10 or more the last time I but I settled on 10 this time. No clue. Before we get into these, these let's stipulate. There might be some things that these BuzzFeed readers are leaving out that are important context. Let's just, just let's sure. stipulate that. Sure. These might not be completely, although in some of these instances, I can't imagine what context would justify uh, what the, this person is retelling. Yeah, yeah. Stipulating that, though. Let's take what they say at face value as still lessons. But it's still, I mean, we should see what it is that they're writing about. And remember, this is what they've shared. And this is what we've gotten. And so this is what we need to go off. This is what we have to go off of. So we don't have, and there are still lessons to be learned by what th- what we have presented to us. Like, again, we can't, there may be details that are left out that we don't know. We can infer and all that kind of stuff. But really what we're trying to do is, Look at the lesson that we can learn from this particular yeah. instance that uh, that we can take with us instead of 
um, trying to connect all these dots and say, well, you know, you don't know this and we don't know that. We're, we're like absolutely right. But we also know that this stuff happens on a complete – any none of these that we've seen are so surprising no. to any of us. No. We say that's disgusting. We say that's terrible. And we know that that happens on a regular basis. So no big surprise there. All right. Item number one. I was raised Catholic and was taught that God would intervene if you prayed to him. My friend was having a difficult pregnancy and I prayed every day that it would turn out okay, but she miscarried. When I spoke to my priest, he said that God had chosen to terminate the pregnancy because my friend wasn't married and wasn't a Catholic. That was six years ago. I have never returned to the church after that. I don't blame you. And so, okay, so it's really interesting about this particular piece is you're seeing problems with one what the priest is is saying and also what it is that you were taught okay but here's also the problem with what the priest is saying is based off of what he was taught the and this is something that we run into in christianity a lot is that there are things that were taught for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And so those people teach the next people and those people teach the next people. I do 100% believe that the priest, even though he's supposed to be this expert on the subject and that's what you are supposed to believe, believe it or not, there are lots of different pastors, lots of different priests out there that are not experts on the subject. Right. Okay. You can become a pastor Without having a master's degree, you can be just like a bachelor's degree. You don't need it. And it's just who the church decides to hire. You could be really good at public speaking, but that doesn't mean that you know anything about divinity or the or Trinitarianism. Like there's no – so we expect a lot from them and we expect them to know the answers. And so they teach you what they've been taught or what they grew up knowing or whatever. And so they come in here and they say something – stupid right like in this particular instance where it's like they say something completely foot in mouth immediately <laughs> you know and so this is really difficult and not again what what tim and i have said multiple times on this podcast is that we're not experts but we are critical and we have learned a lot over the years and where we say yeah this priest uh, he he's just and you know what's hard is that you, you meet these people on a regular basis uh, when you've been around church for a very long time. And they believe they are 100% in the right. He ha he is just a part of a school of thought. There are in like a lot of people focus. Maybe if you heard this, you're, you're thinking that it has to do with Catholic. There, there are plenty of people within the Protestant Ugh. church that believe this on a regular basis. Absolutely. This has to do with God's a God's your magic galactic genie. And you just, wish you know rub rub his belly right and he's gonna wish wish away your problem right and so that's need. and so that's the problem in and so that's the hard part with her is is or with him whoever this is they're praying and they want it and they want a response and it's just not going to happen that's not how this works that's not that's just not how how this works i, I that's the best way that i could explain it then what the priest says on top of that is just not good. I mean, that's a the hard part is again that's a pretty uh, predestination kind of mindset, or not even predestination. That's more talking about it's it's just the fire and brimstone, wrathful, vengeful God. 
type situation where, again, it's because she wasn't married and she wasn't a Catholic, so therefore she's not a part of God's chosen people, and so your prayers don't reach him because, or he doesn't care about her because she's not a Catholic and her, <laughs> and she wasn't married because God can't help her. And I mean, like, maybe even with this Catholic priest, and again, we said we were not going to really speculate that much, but even maybe this Catholic priest sits there and thinks, maybe it's because of her sin. God can't help her while she's in this sinful place where she's not a part of the church and that kind of stuff. But that's that's not it either. We've seen plenty of times where God has gone out to people that aren't even his chosen people, and he helps them. Even if they don't even recognize who he is at the moment. You know, that's that's in Scripture as well. So there's not really... It, it's just a dumb statement from the priest. And I, I don't blame the priest either because that's probably what he was taught for a really long time. I don't know, Tim. What do you think? I have a couple thoughts. They're similar to yours, but slightly different, I would say, too. One, this person says, I was raised Catholic and taught that God would intervene if you prayed to him. The concept of praying to God... And asking for God to intervene, and frankly, God choosing to inter—that's it's a that is a difficult concept. And I would say probably you and I, we could probably spend five episodes on that and not fully grasp it. And so, part of me says, look, if you're going to church on Sundays, or you're going to mass, whatever, however you want to describe it. And all you're hearing is 20 minutes of a priest or pastor crudely and not very well describe how God works through prayer. You're not probably going to get a very good... It's hard enough even if you have been a lifelong Christian and thoroughly read your Bible and maybe read a whole bunch of stuff. It's still a really difficult concept to, to grasp. Why does God intervene? When did he... So... Well, and it's hard. Okay. When it comes to the intervention, and especially when it comes to pastors, so something that's important to keep in mind about pastors is this is something that you need to know. Every single person in the church needs to know this. Every single person. There are certain people that are really, 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 really good at their jobs. Okay. And there are people that are really sucky at their jobs. Okay. That still holds true for pastors. No pastor out there is is perfect by any means. And remember, pastors, and I have a lot of love for them, they have a wide, wide breadth of responsibilities that are crazy, especially if you are go to a church where it is a single pastor or a single priest by themselves. They have a huge responsibility load that is crazy. So they have to focus and work on their teachings for Sunday. They have a trillion other things in between. Now, when it comes to their teaching, also something that I would recommend to you is that when it comes to what you should be getting from your pastor on a service, on a regular basis for a service, should not be very similar to what a public speaker would say. As flashy and as sexy as that is, that's really not teaching you much. Yeah. Because of other than that, other than being like a what you would call a spiritual uplifting moment, that's not very progressive for you in your faith. You could be completely stagnant when you have that happening. If you are not being challenged and you are not being pro- 
and your pastor is not being progressive in teaching you things about scripture, about the context, about uh, the history and that kind of stuff. It's, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying you become stagnant. So that's something to be said about about the priests and the pastors. And so when we expect and we understand that that is a actually that's pastors that teach and when we say teach we legitimately mean they are teaching you new concepts they are teaching you uh new perspectives they are again trying to be progressive um and making sure that their church is following in and progressing forward with their thoughts and their beliefs those pastors are rare and the reason why is they've grown up with a lot of this the whole time and that's not what makes money or it hasn't been proven to make as much money as those that get up there and just give an uplifting message and therefore you can go home and you could be a better father just based off of the fact that your pastor talked about what it means to be a better father for and according to scripture, even though it's been vague and you don't really understand it and they didn't really use it like, or they may have used scripture, but it didn't really make sense right. in that context. So it's, it, it is very difficult to find somebody who would teach you exactly on prayer. The, the, and so for when you're looking at, when you pray to him, I think we've talked about it before, there's a very particular piece of scripture that talks about Jesus is telling this parable and a guy comes knocking and he keeps knocking and he just annoys the hell out of the owner until eventually the owner of this house lets him in or it goes and helps him and gets the problem over with. So basically God or Jesus tells this parable about nagging in prayer. So you should go and nag to God until he gives you what you want. And it's very, it's very confusing for a lot of people. And so that's something that I would just recommend where it's like, this is what some people have looked to and they say, well then, so that's all I have to do is I just have to nag God. No. It's th that parable was extre was extremely precise about a very particular thing. This in particular is about yes, you should lay all of your problems before God. But if things don't go your way and it doesn't happen, you got to let it go. The best example of this is from David in the Old Testament. Oh uh, yeah, there are a lot of people that believe that they have prayed and they have asked God numerous times. Reading about David begging for Bathsheba's baby to be saved is one of those things where a lot of people don't understand how hard David prayed for that to happen. Another good example of this is actually Jesus himself. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he bleeds yeah. from the stress and he prays over and over again that God takes it from him. And yet at the end of the day, for both of those things, God doesn't do it. The David story is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I've rarely heard it really talked about on a Sunday. And it's one of those stories I think should be talked about, because David praying for his unborn son, because God's basically told him, according to the story... Samuel told him. Or Samuel. No, not, no uh, Samuel's dead. It's... Uh... He's told you're going to lose the son. You're, right. you're, you're, the penalty for having Bathsheba's husband murdered is you're, gonna, you're, you're not going to have your son. And David does two things. He prays like you talk about. He prays like mad. He dresses himself he in a sackcloth. He prays over and over again. And but passed. at the same time, he prepares himself for right. the process of mourning 
understanding that his prayer is probably not going to be answered. Right, and what happens? And, and accepting of that. Now, that doesn't apply here because we're not buying into the what, according to what the priest said, that this person was punished because they no. had out a wedlock baby. No. What I would say, this person either... I don't think they misunderstood because this this is a common theme in church. All flavors of church, it's, it's in its most extreme. It's the health and wealth, prosperity gospel. It is God, you have a relationship with Jesus and your life's going to be better. And I'm sorry. If that's why you're seeking to have a relationship with Jesus, that's not the case. In fact, the New Testament is pretty clear you're probably going to make things more difficult for yourself because you're going to have to stand up to people that you don't want to stand up to. You might lose relationships or friendships. Again, having a relationship with Jesus doesn't give you this magic genie that you can make a couple wishes to and make the problem go away. And all too often, the church has gotten lazy and tried to sell that, particularly from the pulpit of... Pray to God and your and your answers will be will they'll go away, and they they don't. Yeah, and I think and it's the eternal question is why they don't. I don't have we none of us have an answer. Anybody who says they have an answer, I think, is lying to you. They're grasping at straws. There's no good answer. Because I have instances in my life where I have prayed. Sorry to interrupt. No, and and no. Jesus and God's intervened. My wife said it. We have instances if you're old enough and been at this a long long enough, you ask for prayer and. There's an intervention, and it does seem divine, but it rarely happens. Yeah, I had a, uh, well, my dad has a super funny story about that, uh, and I'll tell it in just a second. I just think that with this whole situation and, and when it comes to, to prayer and that kind of thing, what it ultimately boils down to, and I think where this person has issues, is why does good things happen to bad people? And we and we put out a podcast about that originally. I don't know if we answered this very well in that podcast, but we talked about why does good things or bad things happen to good people. And so this person is probably sitting there and they're like, this person did nothing wrong, especially this baby. This baby didn't do anything, and this is what comes from it. Yeah. And so that is very hard to wrestle with. And it's like, how could God be so loving and he's in control of everything? And again, uh, a lot of people think that God is this puppet master just pulling the strings. Well, according to the priest, he is. Right. And according to the priest, he is. And so he's saying, well, he doesn't care about that puppet because they don't want to do the dance, the song and dance that he's trying to put for them. So um, they ain't got... He ain't got no strings on that one, so. Yeah, I mean, the priest is the first one who can go to hell. Don't, when someone comes to you, whether or not they're actually dealing with it or they're a friend of someone, you don't say, well, it hap something bad hap happened to them because, one, they aren't married. The, the marriage thing is going to be a common theme in a lot of these answers, and we'll get, we'll flesh that out a little bit later this fixation of marriage male female marriage being like the ultimate sacrament of what it is to be a believer in jesus and then on top of the catholic because well and i mean even for those of you out there that are like that are skeptical of prayer and that kind of stuff uh, again like i said i i'll tell you this story about a kind of a funny thing that happened to my dad uh <laughs> 
So my dad went on a mission trip up to Wyoming. Uh, we used to own a lemon of a suburban. Uh, my dad was a youth pastor. It's just a rite of passage as a youth pastor that you have to own a suburban, <laughs> especially in the early thousands, late nineties. You have to own a suburban because you got to haul all those kids around. Yeah. Um, and so uh, in Selma, in like two thousand and five, they do a mission trip through Enfuge, which is a mission organization. They go out. Um, and they give kids an opportunity for a summer camp and it's not your typical summer camp where you go and you'd have like fun and you play recreation and that kind of stuff. You're, it's centered around during the day when you would be doing that kind of stuff, you're actually out doing missions work. So, um, when you get there, you have to fill out a form and you say like, Hey, these are my interests and that kind of stuff. And they provide you with a couple of different options. So like when I went to a couple of infusions, I always said that sports was my interest. And so you got to go and you would run a sports camp in the inner city with, uh, during the day. And so you would go out and you would play uh, games and sports, uh, with like kids that didn't have that opportunity to go to summer camp or whatever um some people say that hey i like most of the time all that they take is like junior and senior high school boys um that say like hey i'm good with yard work and this kind of stuff and you would go around and uh i remember we went to one in santa fe new mexico where what they were doing the entire day was literally just putting up fences along the roadside uh that would prevent for rock slides um, from happening and it's just missions work that they were doing to kind of help the community and help the area that they were in and so they went up to wyoming and a lot of the work that they were doing was around the reservations but they get to they get up to wyoming and the suburban breaks down they had a lemon it breaks down they're all sitting there my dad has 30 high school and junior high students under his command and these kids are all chilling there and the suburban breaks down and my dad is, I don't know what we're gonna do. They're literally in the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere in Wyoming. There's nobody around but Buffalo. And he brought with him two, two people from the church. These are the greatest and they're like older people but they loved hanging out with the youth. They were like, this is our favorite thing. And uh, their name was Bill and Sue and everybody loved them. They're just this little old couple. Bill was like a hunter, fisher kind of guy. Uh, and they were just old school, like they were awesome. I, I hope that someday they listen to this podcast. I, they, yeah, but they were so awesome. But they, and, uh, and so my dad is like, I don't know what we're gonna do. And they were like, Scott, let's pray over the car. <laughs> and my dad was like, my dad grew up Baptist, mm -hmm. right? Like this is like, he's pretty reserved. He's like, he has never prayed over a car like we've and even then like for me personally just based off of how i've grown up and that kind of stuff where you like lay hands on someone like that's still kind of uncomfortable i'm not even like a physical touch person like i don't like people touching me so like when we lay hands on people and that like is something for them it's like all right like you know like it's not and so and my dad's kind of the same way so he's like all right, just kind of puts his hands on the car because and all the kids gather around and Bill and Sue are kind of gathering kids around to lay their hands on our family suburban and they're gonna pray over it. And so there they go. They all pray over this car, the suburban. My dad said five minutes went by. A guy drives by on a motorcycle and he drives right by and then goes and flips around and comes back. And my dad's like, shit. 
some hell's angels are going to come kill all these kids. <laughs> the guy pulls up and he's like, hey, you guys having any issues? He's like, yeah, my suburban broke down. And we're trying to, we're on a mission trip and we're trying to get out here. And he's like, well, I actually happen to be a mechanic and I, my specialty is I work on Chevys that do this. And let me guess, it's the transmission. And he's like, my dad's like, yeah. And he's like, it's all good. I got like a parts shop or I got a mechanic shop like up the road about 10 miles. I'll call a buddy to get out here and tow it. And he's like, and I'll do it free of charge for all you guys. Wow. It's insane. My dad's like, <laughs> it worked. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. Oh my gosh. And like, sure. You can sit there and you can say like, you could have just waited five minutes right. to pray on the car. But it's like still like that kind of stuff is just like insane, right? Like you're just like, oh. The coincidence of that happening again. Remember, they're in Wyoming. Right. I don't know if anybody in this podcast that listens to it has ever driven through Wyoming, but nobody drives through it's Wyoming. The least, like, yeah, it's the least populous state. <laughs> yeah, it's just nobody drives through Wyoming. So it was just the only people from Colorado drive through Wyoming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, golly, it was. It, it's a, it's a really insane, fun story, and there's stories like that all over the place. You can find those all over the place where it's. The really cool stuff. And so I don't want to say that when we're talking about this, that that, is, that isn't how God works. No. God works in mysterious ways, but that's not how he works all the time. And so that's something that, you, that us as believers, we also have to recognize. Look, pray with the belief that your prayer is going to be answered, but if you pray fully expecting that it will, I don't even pray, know if- pray with the conviction but if you if you aren't prepared for it not to be answered, you're going to be disappointed. My thing is, I don't even know if you, like, when you pray, and not in a bad way, this may be just a different frame of mindset. For for those of you listening, understand where I'm coming from on this. Is just, I don't even know if praying with an end result in mind is, is what's beneficial. What you need to do is just lay out your problems. Right, yeah, I think that's, this yeah, is I think li- that's the problem is, you know, it's it's fine to pray for a solution, but really, what God's just wanting you to do is un un unburden yourself from the problems of this world, right? Like that's what He wants. He wants you to sit there and say, "Hey, this is what I'm going through. I know this isn't your fault. This is just it just really sucks right now, and this is just I'm just miserable." And you're not looking for solutions. Stop trying to plan out your own life. Like you know, <laughs> like that's the hard part. Is we're like. We need this to come in and and fix this or whatever, and it's like no, like okay, I'm glad you brought that up. That's that's a good point because anybody who's familiar with good, with a good counselor, a good psychologist, you're gonna spend. You might not ever be offered a solution to your problem by that counselor or psychologist, right? And if you are, if you're going in expecting that you're gonna unburden yourself and on the first session or second or third or any number that you can count probably on two hands, you're going to get offered solutions. That's not how they operate. No. They let you unburden yourself. And the more you unburden yourself, the better you just feel by unburdening yourself. And I think a lot of times prayer is just that, unburden yourself. Yeah, exactly. And in the process of unburdening yourself, you find out, well, it's not really, oh, maybe... Well, it still might be a huge problem, but you just feel better unburdening yourself to this, to your savior. And be like, oh, I got it off my chest. Right. 
And sometimes, like the counselor, he might come along and say, you might want to try this, or I'm going to solve this for you, right. or I'm going to bring someone along and say, you know, this person's going to help you out of this situation. But you mentioned earlier, I meant to, this was something I meant to bring up before we got onto this BuzzFeed thing. You mentioned the problem with Sunday church, Put it. let's put it that way. But I would also say I would include a lot of times the small group. We've gotten I've gotten some feedback from people about this podcast, and some of it's been like, "Why is it so damn long? You guys really go a long time." We don't care. And I've told our these people who've asked, "I don't. Yeah, we don't really care. We're we not, told them to go to hell. We're we're doing. <laughs> this is kind of small group for you and I. Yeah. And I would also say. Even though we're not engaging with whoever's listening to this, they're not able to ask us questions and engage in the conversation. I would say, to me, it kind of exposes part of the problem with the modern church of we've distilled it to 50-minute, maybe an, maybe an hour and a half, small group sessions where we get to talk, and basically 25, maybe 20 to 30 minutes of hearing a guy talk. All and right. that's all our Christian journey is. And if we're really good, we're reading our Bible and maybe reading a book. But there's no, like, what do you think about this? Am I crazy about this? Uh, I read this thing in the Bible, and it doesn't make sense to me, and it seems really stupid, or that doesn't seem right. And we don't allow, we, the modern, I don't even, I don't even know if the church at all has been very good at it, but the, certainly the modern church does not allow... We don't allow ourselves these opportunities like you and I have once a week to just kind of spitball things. Well, and I got a, I got a hot take for you. You want it right now? <laughs> I thought about this this morning when I was driving in to work this morning. I mean, there's a lot of things. I've gotten a bad habit, and you guys will probably think that I'm a psychopath now. I've got a bad habit. Not, a, not essentially bad, but I just I, I don't turn the radio on when I... When I drive places nowadays, I I just sit in the car and I think about things. And you guys are like, okay, <laughs> check this guy into the psych ward. Um, I turn off all stuff and I just I just sit there and I think about things for a long time. And today I just started thinking. I thought about my kids and I think about um, trying to solve the issue with. Uh, for those of you guys that don't really know, kind of the whole situation across the United States. It's not just in California and not in just in our little pocket of just uh, kids across the United States are reading at about, on average, at about a fifth grade reading level. Which is interesting because if you actually look at the stats and kind of the basis for the majority of the rest of the United States as an adults, they don't read above a fifth grade reading level. And so that's alarming. You're just like, what? Oh my goodness, that's crazy. They're only reading at a fifth grade reading level. Which means that you can't comprehend a lot of the things that are happening in a ninth, tenth grade. And it, a lot of the media production and all that kind of stuff, all of those things are geared towards, believe it or not, a fifth grader. Right. A fifth grader can understand every single ESPN broadcast, every single ESPN article, yeah, you, anything that comes in from uh, CNN, from MSNBC, Fox News, all of that stuff, believe it or not, the vocabulary, the stuff that they are using and that they are talking about, there might be a little bit of confusion and that kind of stuff, but it's really the vocabulary level and kind of the depth of knowledge is you're looking at about a fifth grade reading level. The Bible, on the other hand, is not. No. 
at a fifth grade. And it's level. been translated multiple times on top of it. Right. And so you have this, this deep level of understanding that you are required from them. And so you said earlier, you talked about read your Bible, if you are reading your Bible every day, and to which I don't know, and I thought about this this morning, I don't know if it's actually spiritually healthy at this point, if you are not, and again, I, I am an English teacher, so that may be why I'm like thinking about these things just a little bit more in depth, is like, I don't know if you are equipped well enough to read the Bible, I, and I'm not saying that you should, listen. I know what you're saying, you're, you're saying almost... We've even though we have the technology to, we've almost regressed to pre-printing press levels where the gospels having to be spoon-fed to people who can't read. Right. You don't have you don't have the capabilities to be able to read the Bible and understand everything that it's saying. So you reading the Bible can actually be extremely harmful to you, is what I'm actually saying. Yeah. So for most, they're trying to understand a, 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 your, your average Jesus parable. If you don't have a pretty good college education, well, yeah. If, <laughs> it's, well, and I mean, like you don't even like, and even there's college educated people that are out there that are that still read at a fifth grade reading level. You don't actually read the text that your college professor sends out to you. You just like, you just totally skim through it or whatever. You uh, do the BuzzFeed questions or whatever. Not the BuzzFeed questions. Uh, the uh, the I'm trying to think of the spark notes or whatever, right. and you get through the Quizlet questions and all that kind of stuff, and you go through them, blah 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 blah. Yeah, you can totally get through college with a fifth grade reading level as being your your capabilities. One hundred percent. That's <laughs> interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Right, and so it's like, so is it? And so and constantly, this is a huge part of the faith. They're like, you need to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible. And yes, I am of the type that does believe. And, and most, I would say all English teachers would agree that the best way to improve your reading skills is to read. Right. But this is a drastic jump. Yeah. I'm not asking my freshman in high school to read War and Peace. But yet we are asking you on a daily basis to read the Bible and, you, and ask you to interpret it and just be like, all right, just go read. Because I was like nine times out of ten, what it, is your pastor actually teaching you anything or are they preaching that's why i emphasized it at the beginning because again this was kind of something that set on my heart this morning where i was like is this something that us as believers should be encouraging believers to do are they actually equipped well enough to be able to read the scriptures hmm. do you think so i don't think so i don't think anybody at our old church if they had just been there every single sunday and they hadn't gotten any extra teaching anywhere else? I'm going to think about that before I... <laughs> I, I we'll talk... I'm going to think about it for a week. Oh. I think... No, I think you're on to something, but I want to... It's a hot take. Listen, people are going to come after me for that one. It's certainly a hot take. I might agree <laughs> with you. I might agree with the hot take. I, I Look, there is a... I, there's at least a kernel of truth to that. I just need to think about it further. Well, because you hear... You know... Yeah, yeah. At one point, here's the problem. So just off the top of my head, the counter to that is, well, you know, at one point, you know, and we're not talking like 1800s. We're talking, I, th I, I don't remember when it was written, and I should, but there was a period of time several hundred years ago, probably at least the 1700s. When was Paradise Lost written? Mm. 16, 16 something? Mm, 17, that sounds 20? right. I can't. 
think of it out the top there, of head. Whenever Paradise Lost, that and the Bible were the two best-selling books, and it was it's it's just this. I don't know if it's a cliche. It's just it is in the ether of history to just it is said that every household in you know English-speaking world had that. Those are the two books they had. So you say, well, these people didn't have such and such education. To which I would say, the flip side to that is my grandmother. My grandmother, who was born in 1911, had an eighth grade education, and she was more educated than any PhD I think I ever I've ever met in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So uh, eighth grade and a fifth grade. So <laughs> people might be more. Here's the problem: we teach information these days. We don't teach skills. I is is a big problem. Sure. We spend our time teaching information instead of teaching people how to actually do math or do rational thinking or just read. Just read. Just learn how to read. Read, 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 read. Then we'll get to some information later. Well, we don't teach a lot of concepts of reading. So, like, this is what's hard for a lot of people to grasp against. This is what's very challenging for a lot of, a lot of people who read the book and a lot of people say that they know this information but they don't actually they don't actually apply this said information right so they say oh i know that i've been told that but that doesn't mean it changed the way that you read the scriptures right which is extremely frustrating is that we can tell you all day long that there are several different books inside this bible but you sit there and logically inside your brain you're like this is a book it's the same thing as if you go to Barnes and Noble and you pick out i don't know let's say i'm going to use the uh, we're going to use Asimov's i robot okay I know that that is a science fiction book. I know that it's going to talk about robots in there's several different stories, right? And so that's what we treat it as. We treat it as Asimov's iRobot. It's several different short stories about robots. And we, that's how we treat the Bible. Okay, this is a book with several different books in it that is about, the, about God or whatever, okay? So again, like Asimov's is the science fiction, and so we're like it's in the science fiction genre, and so that's where it stays. Okay, this is the Bible, and so therefore it stays in the genre of Christianity or the or right. religious text. No, that's not how it works. There are several different genres within this that set of books. You would have had to walk all over Barnes and Noble to pick out all the different types of books that are inside the Bible. Oh well, yeah. And so people don't understand that though. They they haven't they. They can't grasp their minds around that. Sure, and and why would they when they're when one of the first things they're told in eighty ninety percent of the churches they go to is this everything in here is literal in God's word, right? And so and so like they these are things where it's like even if we sit there and we develop your critical thinking skills and that kind of stuff, there's still things about reading and understanding that are. You need years of practice first before you can hit that step. And so what's crazy is we encourage people to read that. We encourage people to read the scriptures and they have not had years of practice before they reach that step. And so they go in there and they read and they're not critically analyzing or anything like that. They sit there and they say, what is this speaking to me? Well, to what I would say to bring it back to what I brought up, we throw the Bible at them and then we don't really offer them Unless you're a really, a really good mentor, you're it's a one-on-one -on -one mentorship, and you you've met this person. It's, it's your, let's say it's literally your mentor. You're 50 years old, and you've come across this 30-year-old kid, and he's starting a the company you own. 
and he finds out you're a Christian and you say, hey, start reading this and we're going to meet once or twice a week over coffee or lunch. And, and then you start peppering me with questions. That might be that's giving the person some support. Sure. So when they come back and like, hey, what the hell is this thing with this? Like, I, you know, I I like to read the back of a book and I went into the revelation. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah, you yeah, know, <laughs> or just some of the stuff Jesus says. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, sometimes Jesus is talking in a parable, and he's basically, it's like a, it's a story he's telling, but we don't take him literally, so we're trying to find the, we don't do that. We th- just throw people into the deep end and just say, hey, there you go, and uh, and throw out a dinghy and say, we expect you to be an Olympic swimmer by the time, you know, a couple years. Meanwhile, your pastor on Sunday is sitting there talking about what it means to be a good participant of your family and uses two scriptures that are vaguely resembling of that. Oh, yeah. You're just pulling some passage out of, you know, some one verse, not even a passage, just a verse out to say. But also at the same time, talked about how important that was and guilt tripped you into reading your Bible every single day. And so you go and you read your scripture and you're just sitting there and you're like, this is great. I don't know what to do about this. Well, I would. I'm. I'm still going to think about this. I would say, at the very least, this is another reason why, when the Message Bible came out, I was one of those douchebag Christians who made fun of the Message, and now I don't. I mean, I make fun of it too, but I think it's an. I think it's, it's awesome. It's still to be made fun of, <laughs> but it is also necessary. But it is also not to be made fun of because you should check out the interview. Have you seen the interview with him and Bono? Yes, that's a great. Great interview. And I would also say the the versions, I don't remember who does this, but the people who cre- who do books of the Bible where they're just books of the Bible, like letters, ingenious. I don't need to have stuff broken down by verses and chapters. Yeah, so I think that, uh, what I was going to say was the Bible Project has a lot of cool um, videos where I think that what they do really well is they explain things if you really want some teaching that kind of teaches you a lot of stuff about the Bible and kind of what a lot of those messages mean and those things. They have really cool videos that go along with that. They are doing a really cool thing. For anybody on this that's listening to this podcast, I highly recommend, highly recommend they created their own app. It's called Read Scripture. They have it completely set up to where you could read the Bible in one year where it's 365 days or if you just hop on and you just read that and and that's something and they support you throughout that whole process with these videos they kind of teach you um, some of that kind of stuff and they do it in the whole like writ like the the drawing on the whiteboard kind of stuff where they do the the drawings to kind of symbolize and so it's a little bit more creative mm-hmm. a little bit more visual for you if that's if that's helpful for you and it breaks it down into those nice chunks so that way you're able to read the book in a whole year um, and it tracks your progress and does that kind of stuff. It'll send you notifications and it's it's a really cool thing that I highly recommend anybody to check out and especially for those of you that are looking and you need support and maybe that's maybe that's just what I'm getting at where it's, it's not necessarily that but I think it's what you kind of said where it's like we just kind of throw you to the wolves and we say, hey, read your Bible but I don't think that you are equipped well enough or most people aren't equipped well enough to read the scriptures. And so you need those tools. And I don't know where you're going to get them from. I don't know. Because a lot of pastors aren't giving them out. <laughs> like, No, and I, a, lot of this, a lot of the themes that the Bible deals in, we don't even teach in school. I would say a lot of the just uh, troublesome subjects. Uh, it's just, I don't know. Well, I, think and I, you're, I think you're on to something. And 
And for those of you that are out there, and we did say that we were going to do this in this new year, is we wanted to give recommendations for books and those types of things. And so um, for anybody that's out there and you want to, this is what they gave us in college to be able to understand um, the tools of how to read the scriptures. And so what I highly recommend is there's a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It's a tech, it, it, it's not a textbook. It, it's written in fairly normal. It is higher than a fifth grade reading level. I will tell you that. But it's going to teach you those skills to where when you read it, you'll be able to understand. It's by Gordon D. Fee and Douglas Stewart. It's got a guy on a chair reading the Bible. But this is a fairly standard textbook that most uh, or that I've seen around where they – I had – I went to two different colleges and took two different Bible classes at both of those colleges, one a public school, one a private school. Both schools asked me to have this book as part of the reading process for – and both were different. One was an Old Testament. Well, I in both were Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, and uh, they were two completely different teachers, and that was what they what they wanted you to have as part of your support for that class. So that's something that I would just say. Um, that's another resource that you can check out and see if that's something that you can get a couple of skills from. All right, we'll put that in the show notes too. So we're one hour in, and we've only done one question. I'm not going to apologize. I'm because not. of what we were just talking about. So we will we will definitely probably end up breaking up this episode as well into two episodes. All right. <laughs> yeah. Question number two. Maybe three. I don't know. My sophomore year of college, I called it quits for good after a, quote, ex-gay came to share his testimony. This campus church seemed super welcoming and open when I got involved my first year of college. But it ended up being very conservative and I found myself burrowing deeper into the closet and feeling anxious all the time. I was already struggling with a lot of internalized homophobia, and the church uh, major- majorly exacerbated it. And I still have hang-ups I'm working through now in therapy years later. The, quote, ex-gay testimony was the final straw. I believe in some kind of higher power, but I don't see myself ever being part of Christianity again, and I'm finally okay with that. Okay, I remember this one the last time, and I remember... This was the one where we were, we were kind of, yeah, I don't really think, look, I don't, if I don't see what the problem is with, if, if you find it troublesome that someone shows up and says, I'm not gay anymore, okay, I could see some people having a problem with that. But by and large, I kind of see this as what you and I have talked about in previous episodes of... We've kind of come more, I think, because we swim more in the conservative libertarian circles friend group. And the, I don't, I, I assume most of the people that go to our churches, although at the current church we're at, it's probably a, a bit more mixed. This is one where I would say from the other side, you're letting your worldview dictate what Christianity should be like rather than let Christianity kind of maybe dictate what the worldview should be. Yeah, I agree. I, this is where... I mean, and, and that's not to say that you have to get a, the homosexual thing, you've just got to lay down. But for that to be the thing where this is the totem that you're going to walk away from Christianity on. Really? I, why is... I don't understand why sexual preference, sexual proclivity, whatever you want to call it, has become the main thing we've got to now not just argue in the church, but outside of the church. Yeah, and I think there's a, well, 
So maybe I'm just the wrong person to, I don't know. Well, I had a, uh, yeah, no, I think. So when it comes to that kind of stuff, it's, it, it is very difficult. I do think that what is challenging and something that I see as a lesson for the church to learn from that situation is there is harm that can come from this whole idea of we just want doing doing outreach just for the sake of outreach. We just want to rope in as many people out there as possible. And there can be a lot of harm that kind of comes from that where you have people that come in expecting things that it's actually not. So you've roped in these people that are sitting there and they're like, okay, this is what you said you were. And then we come in and it's not really actually this way. And this happens a lot in youth groups. I'm not surprised that on a college campus that this would happen. There's a huge push for numbers, right? You need numbers. Then the more numbers you have, the more money that comes in. And so therefore that's what you have. You have more volunteers, you have more bodies. Um, it looks good to have those types of numbers, but ultimately at the end of the day, is that actually helpful to all of those people that are involved? And so that's so I feel bad that, yeah, there are times where I've seen ministries that have kind of presented this false face where you think that they are something that they turn out to not be. And so that can be kind of harmful as well. So I do think that at this point where it's like, When it comes to the whole, like, the sexuality, when it comes to all that kind of stuff, you still have to understand that the church is pretty united right now. That I mean, there's not—you can't sit there and say, like, it needs to be different. And I'm glad that there's a lot of change going on in our country and that kind of stuff for—to where all people have all rights. Um, And that's how it should be. That's how this country was meant to be. But currently where our faith stands and based off of the scriptures that we read and, and and all of those types of things is what – and there's talk about – we've talked about it on this show where people have influenced what goes into the Bible and, and that kind of stuff. And there's a high possibility that maybe there's stuff that was left out or whatever, but this is what we have to go on. Right. So right now this is what we have for you and that's the best that we can do. And so if people aren't accepting as you want them to be of those t- – particular situations that's how it's going to be for a while because that's all the scriptures are all that we have so so my lesson for the church on this one is we've gone from homosexuals in the closet to 126 i think now descriptions of varying sexual proclivities in 30 years yeah the country, I'll just speak for America, we're kind of shell-shocked. We're trying to get our equilibrium. And at my counsel to particularly a youth group or a college group is just stay away from the issue. Let's, let's let things kind of play out for a while and let it be a one-on-one issue. I think that's better a, a better issue for someone to come to you and say, hey, I actually think I'm a homosexual, but you know I'm part of this youth group. You're not going to reach someone by talking to a group of people. It's always going to come off bad. Right. So just, that's, I think that's kind of the third rail of religion right now. Just, just stay away with it. I don't even say that for a big church. Just stay away from it. Let that be a one-on-one conversation with a congregate who says, 
hey, you know what? I've been coming here for a while. I consider myself a Jesus follower, but I'm gay. And I'm married to another woman. Okay, let's talk about that. Yeah, and I mean, I'd say that if you were feeling ballsy enough as a pastor or as a small group leader or whatever, and you felt like I want to say something about it, if you want to say something about it, you say that, one, you need to understand that those people already feel on the outer, on the farthest outer reaches in a church to begin with. There's no need to call them out on anything. Of anything, you need to be calling other people out on their acceptance of those people right. as people. And no matter what anybody says, according to the scriptures, this is factual based off of the scriptures. God created every single one of us and he loves every single one of us. And so that person loves, he loves them just as much as he loves you. And so therefore they are deserving of your love just as much as anybody else on this planet. And so therefore you need to show them that love. And so that's, that is the response that I think that pastors need to be preaching on a regular basis. So if homosexuality or sexuality or sexual orientation gets brought up at all on a regular basis in a church, it needs to be about the fact that we need to meet every single person with love. Every single person. You should love them just as much as you love anybody else. And when we say that, again, sure, like you can love your wife like more or your husband or whatever um, or your children. Well, the fundamentalist argument is I, I'm showing my love by telling them what they're doing is wrong and it's keeping them from Jesus, so. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, this one, I remember this one. This one's, this one's rough. I left Christianity because I realized that the God I was praying to wasn't there. My mom and stepdad would get into screaming matches. I would lock myself in the bathroom and turn the fan on so their yelling would at least be muffled. I would get on my knees and pray for them to stop fighting along with all the other bad things in my life to stop. I would cry so hard. I thought I was doing something wrong when nothing happened. After my stepdad killed himself, my biological father mentally, emotionally, and verbally abused me. He didn't allow me to grieve. He also said absolutely horrible things about my stepdad. I soon realized that no all-loving God would put an 11-year-old girl through that. Yeah, I remember this one too. This one's this one's not really something the church did. This is just this is what happens when you have generational detritus just push all the way down on someone at the bottom of that generational shit sandwich. Yeah, I just whoever this is, I I'm sorry. Like that's all I can say about life is life is shitty sometimes. And there, there's plenty of examples of that, just so we're clear, in the scriptures as well, where life is just really shitty for some people. And you know what? Life, life can be shitty for a long, long time for different people. And what's hard is your view of God is it has to, and especially as an 11-year-old, I, I don't blame you for walking away or a 15-year-old. 16-year-old, what it what was, how old was she in the story? Yeah, 11-year-old. As an 11-year-old, based off of what you've been taught at that point, I, I, I don't blame you for, for walking away from the faith. At that, at that age, you're sitting there and you're like, you need something, someone. Yeah, I mean, assuming this person was in like some kind of Sunday school environment, that Sunday school kids are being told, you know, Jesus loves you, God loves you. 
and inherent in that is you know it gods and jesus are kind of like a parent figure and that and so they're they're there to protect you and yeah i like and that's the thing is where it's like i can sit there and i can analyze this whole situation i can sit there i can see how that would make sense yeah to an 11 year old and even later down the line to where you still hold resentments and bitter feelings and all those types of things that completely make sense so what i would say to that person if they were here is just i i would want them to know that i'm so sorry about what happened to them growing up i wouldn't even probably suggest that they go back into a church anytime soon i mean i i think that what i would encourage them to do is just sit there and say hey there are they need to reconcile the whole situation that happened with their with her parents first or his parents first i don't know if it was a female or a male a uh, female female i she would need to reconcile what happened with her parents first before she could start that healing process of her spiritual healing process in the church. She would have to say, because that's where a lot of the anger and the issues lie is to where she would need to sit there and recognize that her parents are broken people. Her stepfather was a broken person. There, there, there are a lot of, there's a lot of brokenness in this story. And so it's very difficult, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's, you have to, you would have to do that in order enough to step back in. And for any believer that ever interacts with this person or, or sees them, you would have to recognize that and say they are broken in several different ways. And the first thing that they don't want to hear is you should come to church and check out Jesus to like fix that issue. Yeah, um, no, that this is one of those where it takes a personal relationship with someone. This is where being a Christ follower at work or... And it's going to take a while. Wherever you might meet someone like this to show that you're different. And it's just not like a magic prayer. And, oh, they're different. Yeah, and you just you keep praying for them. You keep loving on them. You keep showing them unconditional love on a regular basis. And show them that this is what true love looks like. And, and that you care for them to hopefully fill that void that they did not get when they were 11 years old. That's just what I would say on that one, and I'm so sorry to whoever had this happen to them. All right, let's lighten the mood a little bit. We're on beer number two. Mm, beer. Yeah, we're on beer number two. We're on uh, Mammoth Brewing Company's the IPA 395. Is that the road into uh, Mammoth? Yeah, I uh, which I will be going to this summer for vacation. You're an asshole. <laughs> the reason why I say that is because this last summer, in August... And I remember specifically, I said, guys, let's all take the trip up to Mammoth because they're doing a brew fest in Mammoth. Now, I do remember this, okay, and I just, said it's a terrible idea. There is a terrible idea. So here's here's the stupid thing. <laughs> no, I'm going to explain this whole situation. So everybody well, around... I'm going to be going with my family around July 4th. I'm going to be going with my family around July 4th. Okay. <laughs> so, so everybody around here was all hot and heavy for these two brew fests that, brew fests that were happening in Tulare... California. They were like the shittiest brew festival. And then listen, if you're around here and you're like, no, they're pretty good. Sure, they were fine. But whatever. I didn't have to drive six hours to go to the one in Mammoth. Who gives a? F- it was gonna <laughs> be a fun time. Like everybody's like, no, I don't want to drive. I can't up. do more than one uh, beer, beer, beer pilgrimage with you in a year. So that's not true. You'd be willing. that's that's <laughs> not true. 
<laughs> the whole like the the mammoth thing was like there were there were so many top innovative good breweries there, that were going were, to this mammoth thing, and I was like, guys, this will be a lot of fun, and everybody's like. Well, no, we got the one in Tulare, and I was like, the one that's sponsored by Budweiser? So we're going to get Goose Island. They were like, oh, but but Elysium's going to be there. I was like, no, no, no. We had some good oh, wow. Speakeasy from San Francisco, and we had some good ones. Yeah, okay. They had five good ones. No, we had six or seven. Okay. Anyway, Let's add it one or two to that number. Anyways, they were like... 30 good ones at Mammoth, but everybody's like, I want to Anywho, drive six this hours. Mammoth beer is very good. It's It's got a nice amber color. It's not quite clear. And it's Just so we're clear, they were hosting the... Uh, oh, were they? <laughs> yes. And, it was, it, and this one's a little sweet. It's 8%. The pre- it's sweet, but like an alcohol sweet is what I would say. So like if you're It's drinking- an alcohol sweet, but not like a bad alcohol. Sometimes you get one and you're like, oof, there's just too much alcohol in here. This no, no, no. One. This is an eight percent. But like, for those of you that drink it, you—if you sat there and you were like, "Okay, I, I get that whole like alcohol sweetness to it." Um, there's yeah, there's 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 a balance of bitterness and sweetness to it. Yeah, and is there like there's got to be some sort of malt in this? Like they don't label it as a red IPA, but like yeah, it's pretty close. It's like malty, so it's tasty, and we have no problems with it. But yeah, so anyways, uh, thank you to uh, Orion for giving me that. Beer. Make sure to post in the comments that uh, Tim needs to go to Mammoth in August this year. We when will the effort that. Is there. <laughs> All right, number four in high school. I remember this is the one that set us off. Oh golly, uh, guys, the, I guys. In know. high school, I went to church three days a week until one of my friends killed himself, and I turned to my church for support. My youth pastor said I was sinning for mourning him because suicide is a sin, that he was also going to hell because he was Jewish, and that it was all my fault because I didn't bring him to church to save him. I called the pastor out in the middle of the service and walked out. He still leads the youth group now over 16 years later. I remember saying this at the last time we recorded this. You, sh- sir, should go to hell. However, we hope 16 years later you've learned from your stupidity. This is this is one of those where I feel there might be a few things being left out, but I also feel like the thing about... I'm not sure about the Jewish thing, but the thing about him her sending for mourning. But I certainly could see, and this is bad enough, the youth pastor saying suicide is a sin. But let's just take it for what the person says. This is what they remember. This is all bullshit. One, you aren't sinning because you're mourning because even if... Let's just stipulate. Let's just say for kicks that suicide is a sin. You're not sinning because you're mourning that someone did something sinful. A friend of mine could cheat on his wife and his whole life has gone to shit. And I'm mourning the fact that his life's gone to shit. I can both accept that he brought it upon himself, that he cheated on his wife, and now his whole life's gone to hell. But I can also mourn the fact that this has happened to him. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, like, this is something, well. Well, the last time we talked about this, this is this is a good, we need to talk about the sin thing, the the suicide thing. Because you and I have both had suicide happen quite a lot. Well, was that did we was that that podcast where we talked about suicide for like half an hour? Yeah. Oh, okay. So we live in a town. Five or six years ago, we had probably 
uh, we had three prominent, I would say prominent people, not everybody in town, but we, if you're, if you're running certain circles in town, in our area, Tulare Visalia area, three prominent people committed suicide and it was brutal. For me and my wife, it got depressing and it really reshapes how you view the topic. I think anyone who has a view on suicide who doesn't know or have some sort of impactful context to someone committing suicide, I, I think you're, to be honest, you're talking out of your ass. And I say that personally, because I used to have a view of suicide. I will say right now, it was wrong. I was someone who viewed suicide as a sin. I told a group of college kids in my small group that it was a sin, and it's one of my great regrets. I still, so, again, what we've talked about on this podcast is that, and we'll talk about it right now, when it comes to suicide, I still view suicide as a sin um, for anybody that, uh, like, and and I, you're, you're going to clarify, and, and I think I'll, I'll just unload a little bit, is when we look at the original definition of sin, again, it's just missing the mark of what God has planned for you. And I know that that seems weird because we talked about how we don't really believe in predestination and all that kind of stuff. But God has a desire for what happens in your life and he wants you to follow his guidance that he has given you. Again, the best way that I can describe it is you are sitting there and you are looking at a chessboard. Um, and you get to make your own moves. And the other person makes the moves based off, and God is sitting there making the moves on the chessboard based upon the moves that you make. So you have to make your moves. You get to decide your own, you get to make your own decisions, but God is making moves to counteract and work things in his way and in his own um, desires and for his own wills. But what you are doing on the chessboard is you have sat there and you have kicked the king over. And that is not what God wanted for your life. And so that is something that, again, when we talk about sin, is missing the mark. The hard part is that people often equate it with the unforgivable yeah, sin. Yeah, that's, that's what I meant. I know, I, I know. That's I, know I know you did. That, I mean, I, yeah. Thank you for taking it that direction. Is that suicide is, is the unforgivable sin? It's some sign that you're sin. not a true Christian. Right. And, and so, and I remember, and actually, this is one of the coolest parts, and I... I can't give praise to this man enough. I have watched, and and this has inspired me to other great things. I have watched the man who was my mentor growing. I watched. I had a couple of different mentors growing up, but I watched a guy who was my youth pastor growing up, um, who's Brandon, grow and develop through this process because I remember when he talked about it one time and he said that it was an unforgivable sin and I watched somebody and I watched when I was in college and I was struggling with this whole situation and I was like I don't think that it is anymore and I watched a I watched a junior high and a high school student ask him what do you think about suicide and I remember that when that question got brought up in high school and and, and Brandon changed yeah his response and and he said, you know, years ago, and he was willing, openly admitting to the kids. He said, you know, years ago, this is how I felt. He's like, but I came to suddenly realize that it's just like any other sin. It has to do with selfishness. And not in a bad way. Like, we don't like to think of suicide as selfishness, but really it's, 
that person is so overwhelmed with how they are feeling that understanding how other people feel or even but and maybe they've struggled with trying to meet the expectations that other people feel towards them or that they feel that other people have towards them for such a long time that they are just like I can't deal with it anymore and so it's about them and so it creates this situation even though it's not about what God and what he has planned for you and what other people want to see you accomplish and all that kind of stuff which is very difficult I listen I'm not a I'm not downplaying the pressures that exist in our world those are astronomical at times i can guarantee you that god's plans for you are obtainable we see that from we see that in the scriptures that god cannot give us anything more than we can handle you can make it through but that doesn't mean that it's not difficult or hard that doesn't make you anybody that's that knows somebody that's it doesn't make you and it's so hard. We, we value people that are able to finish the race. And, and, and people sometimes have to quit. And it's heartbreaking. And it really is. And, and for anybody that's ever seen suicide and, or had to personally deal with that, it's devastating. But to sit there and say, that this is unforgivable, they went to hell, they did this, and it's like, no, they... I didn't see a way out. There was no, and so it's it's very tough. I, I one hundred percent this person. I I can't believe this, and I get I completely agree with what we said last time that Tim recapped is. I really hope that this youth pastor has grown in this sixteen years and that he's a lot better about it. But like, I'm devastated that this happened to someone. So, okay, a, a couple of things. I'm gonna use a different word than you did, but. It's the same concept. When someone's committing suicide, basically utter hopelessness is set in. And yes, that's antithetical to what being a, a Jesus follower is. We're supposed to have a, a core foundation to being a Jesus follower is we have hope. However bad the situation is, we have hope. But that's not to say, because I can think of one of the people, I'm, the three people I'm talking about had a lot of physical pain. And if we've learned anything in the last 10 years or so, a lot of the physical pain uh, folks are going through has been compounded by the drugs doctors mistook as thinking we're helping the problem actually made the, the problem worse. So that's a whole other side topic. But putting that all aside, whether you're a youth pastor or just a straight pastor, whatever position you're in, assume when someone is coming to you and a friend or family member has committed suicide, that there is a level of guilt that person is dealing with. That yeah. they didn't do something. They didn't see something. Why didn't I see this? And the first tool in your toolkit is, well, they sinned. This is, again, it's the common theme of this podcast. How does that help? Even if that's true. Even if it's Even if it's true... That it's the ultimate, that it's the unforgivable sin. How is that helping the young person or the adult coming to you saying, my friend committed suicide? Well, you know, they sinned, so get over it. <laughs> it's not helpful at all. No, not at all. And what the hell does being Jewish have to do with it? Yeah, the or Jewish the fact that I didn't bring him to church. That's the one where I think maybe that person, you know, maybe that person said, you know, maybe if you'd brought him to church. But, but again, even if it was just... 
it's not your fault that you brought him to church, but you know, maybe if we'd gotten him to church and they would have like, why is that? That's not the thing. You're dealing with a broken teenager here who's had a peer die, commit suicide. Why are any of those things at, at anywhere within, not at the top of your toolbox, but within your toolbox at all? Well, and again, I, this is where I still think that, and kind of going back to what we said at the beginning where it is, I don't blame this youth pastor because this is something that's that's been in the church for a long time. I don't... I don't blame him for having this viewpoint. I listen. This is what you were taught. I don't see that as a problem. And again, I well, I see it as a problem. But I'm saying like I don't see it as. I don't know if can you be blamed for the mistakes of your teacher? Well, yeah. You know, and and if we're being honest, a lot of youth pastors out there in the world, they don't have an education, or they don't have like, they don't even have to go to college. A lot of times they try to hire people right out of high school and they're like, hey, can you be here and you, can you relate to the youth and all that kind of stuff for the next couple of years? Um, and so that's how they do. They cycle through some of them. We had a couple of guys that came through at uh, at our previous church that were junior high leaders that, I mean, they were just literally right graduated out of high school. And we said, hey, come in here and, you know, work with these. And so they work with them, right? On and then, and maybe, and especially in this situation, maybe it was just a small group question on a Wednesday night. Yeah. And so they show up and they ask that question and this is the best that they had to spitball it on that particular night. But, and they were like, and maybe they sat there and they were like, dang, dude, I did not handle that well. But meanwhile, that resonated with that kid and that kid internalized it and it became, it manifested. And we talked about how we don't know a lot of information and we read into it and that kind of stuff and 100%. But I'm still saying that it, what, it, what it comes down to on this youth pastor is I just, this is what he was taught and so he's teaching what he was taught. And yeah, I think <laughs> and again, I mean, even, the, even the church we're at now that we really enjoy I think. Uh, Don't say it on here. No, I'm just. You've mentioned you've you've mentioned this quite a bit throughout the life of this podcast. How we underestimate the importance of the our budgets and our hiring practices suggest we don't treat the importance of the youth pastor position. In, important enough and i think this is what you're probably getting at is, is, is this is another example sure yeah i mean this how is, many 23 year olds are equipped to deal with that question you get what you pay for and that's what it comes down to is this is what you paid for they, i mean like if the church were to sit there and, and that's putting aside even the fact that this is this guy's probably at a church where they are talking you know the gospel's defined by the rules that you're following not by how you love people and so he's like well okay yeah they brought you know they he followed. He broke a rule. He committed suicide. So, right. Exactly. No. If you I want don't. to prevent this from happening the next time? Then invite more friends to youth group so people won't commit suicide. Yeah. Make more Jews for Jesus. Right. And so we sit there and we hate. And I mean, like, I could sit there and be like, "Yeah, this youth pastor can go to f fucking hell because that was fucking stupid." But at the same time, I have to sit there and say, "I can't like." That's what he was taught. and But here's also the thing that is important is that I can sit there and say that because that's what I was taught growing up. 
I've thought that same thing. I could have made that same evaluation. I've even said it on this podcast about a time where I did something super stupid. Right? We talked about this like way back when. When we first started this podcast, I talked about when I told a gay guy that he was oh, going yeah. out. When I told well, a gay- like I said, I had a, I had a group of college kids and somehow suicide came up and I, and I was adamant. Now, I, I wasn't adamant and told all the kids, anybody who disagreed with me, but I was adamant. If you're that hopeless, then it suggests you don't really believe in Jesus. Yeah. And my wife pointed out to me that a girl stopped sh- showing up to youth group, and I cannot remember her name. I wish I did. She stopped showing up to youth group after that, or college group after that. And well, my wife didn't point it out like, you messed up. And I, I don't think it was immediately after. It was years after. And I said, man, I think I have that whole thing wrong. She said, well, you know, so-and-so, I think, stopped going to youth uh, college group because you said that one Sunday. And, and again, my wife wasn't like, you said that wrong. It's just kind of pointing it out. I was like, damn, I think she did. So in some respects, I'm telling myself to go to hell because I, I, I literally pulled that like our friend Brandon did and this guy did. It's just. Yeah. And so we want to grow and we want to develop and we say stupid things and, and that's kind of it. But like ultimately you have to sit there and say, I want to be better and I want to know more. And so you go out there and you do that. And that's why I kind of got back to this whole conversation when I brought up, when I said, I got a hot topic for you or I got a hot take. <laughs> and I said, are we fully equipped enough to read the scriptures? Is a majority of Americans out there fully equipped enough to read scriptures? And I think what we're going to find as we continue to have this conversation is really actually no. So All right. Do, should we do five and then just wrap it up? Let's end the. We're gonna end this as part one. Okay. We'll end. We'll do this part. We'll end part one. We've got uh, six left. We won't do all six left, but we'll do another couple, three or four in part two. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. okay.